Welcome to The Higher Edge, a podcast for the brightest minds in higher education to hear from the change makers and rule breakers that are driving meaningful, impactful change for colleges and universities across the country. From improving operations to supporting student success, these are the stories that give you The Higher Edge. And now, your host, Brendan Aldridge. Hey, everyone, and welcome to The Higher Edge. I'm here today with Rick Smith, Chief Information Officer for the Philadelphia College of Osteopathic Medicine, a graduate school which is also one of the nation's oldest medical schools, having been founded back in 1899. Rick, thanks so much for joining us here on The Higher Edge. Hey, good evening, Brendan. Thank you for having me. So, Rick, right off the bat, I know that there's a lot of people who work in IT across higher education, but not everybody becomes a CIO. Can you tell us a little bit about your journey? Sure, I'd love to. Um, I've spent my entire career, 30-plus years, in information technology. Uh, Like many folks, I started off in the trenches and and kind of worked my way up. So, you know, right out of college, I started as an application programmer. Uh, spent a number of years programming, then I moved into things like uh, operations. I was a, a database administrator for a number of years. And then like a lot of folks, I uh, progressively made my way up the ladder into varying levels of management. So uh, after a number of years, after you gain some uh, experience and you, you work with, uh, get, get some tenure within an organization, you get promoted to a management level. And I found myself moving up into middle management and then up into higher levels of leadership and Uh, Today, I find myself as the chief information officer here at PCOM. A lot of times as people are progressing in their career, they reach a point where they either feel like or they're told that they have to be sort of less hands-on. You're becoming more of a people manager, not a a hands-on person. Was that true in your career as well? Yeah, that's a very interesting question, and and Brendan, and one that really resonates me, and I'll tell you why. During my career, as I start making my way up into that middle middle management level um, and supervisor level, um, you know, I was very hands-on, but then as I started getting into that upper levels, maybe around the director level, um, that's when I started really being approached by my peers and, and some of my superiors or my mentors, where they were really starting to talk about, okay, at this level, you really need to get out of the trenches. You really need to be a little bit less hands-on. And I understand the conventional wisdom states that, you know, the higher up you go in the ladder, that, you know, the further away from the trenches you get, but that didn't work for me. You know, and that didn't sit well for me. So I actually, it was a, it was an inflection point for me in my career because as, as more and more people brought that to me, I'm starting to think, you know, do I am I on the wrong career path? You know, should I stay more on the right. technical side? Should I not be in the management side? So for me, it was I really had to pause for a minute and and think about am I on the right career path? Fortunately for me, no one came and, and forced my hand on this issue, so I, I remained in the uh, leadership position, and I, I remained very hands-on. I found that really, really worked for me, and not just for me, but it really worked for my team. You know, I found that you know um, by being in the trenches and really staying up to date what's happened with technology and what the new innovations are are coming out, I was able to get in the trenches with my team and talk about design, talk about implementation, help them if they were having some issues. But I was also able to pull out and I was able to, you know, take that leadership role where I, I was I was supposed to be thinking more strategically and, and financially and, and doing some planning. And by being in the trenches, I don't mean micromanaging. It just means being able to talk with your engineers and your developers. If you're in an engineering meeting, you need to be able to talk bits and bytes. But if you get into a business meeting with some of the leadership and you start talking bits and bytes, you just lost folks. 
you know, so I was able to really find my niche and it really worked for my team. And I'll give you an example. There's a gentleman that uh, joined PCOM. He's a, he's a development manager, started probably about six months ago. And, you know, in this new world, he works remote. So, you know, um, he has his team that reports to him and he reports directly to me. I meet with him maybe every two weeks. And uh, about a week or two ago, I met with him and I said, you know, just, hey, how's it going? You know, what's working, what's not working? And I shared with him, I said, I want you to know that because I'm, you're not hearing from me every day does not mean I'm not interested in what you're doing. I just, you know, I don't micromanage. It's not my style. He said, you know what? I really appreciate your approach. He said, he said, you're the first CIO, someone at this level that really gets into the trenches and can talk with us about solutions and help us think through things. In prior positions, my CIO would jump in, say, just do it and get out with re not really understanding <laughs> the technical aspect. So, you know, that really is just affirmation that being a hands-on leader is, is a leadership style. And for me, I embraced it and it's been working. That hands-on knowledge. And sometimes you can even think about that as just domain knowledge of how things go together. I, I remember earlier in my career, I was a business analyst thinking about becoming a project manager. And I had a boss who told me, look, if, if you want to be a good technical project manager, you have to learn the technology. You have to know what the technology does. He said, frankly, if you don't know the technology and a problem comes up, you might as well go get coffee because that's the most useful thing you can do in that meeting. Exactly. Rick, I know, uh, I know a lot of people in higher education, like, like me and many others, worked in other industries before taking their first role at a college uh, or a university, as I know you did as well. Uh, what were some of the other roles in industries uh, that you had worked in and had experience in before your current role at the Philadelphia College of Osteopathic Medicine? Sure. That's one of the things I, I think I like most about being in IT uh, for 30 years is that I worked in multiple different verticals. And... Uh, you know, when I, when I first got out of college, I, I started working, for example, in a software development company that did Salesforce automation for consumer packaged goods. You know, so that's kind of where I, I got my, my first start doing some programming and whatnot. And I spent a number of years at that organization and learned quite a bit about software development and, and operations and best practices and whatnot. But after, you know, probably a, about a 12 years of working in that, that industry, I kind of got recruited out and, and started working for a small internet startup back in the late 90s. And that was really exciting because I was like the, the seventh person into the organization. I was like the first tech person in. And Is it a startup anybody would have heard of? Uh, probably not because before it got too big, it, it got purchased by a large organization. This was right during the dot-com, you know, so I got right during right, the dot-com right. and things were, you know, the balloon had not burst yet. So... You know, I was brought in to, you know, really start it. We started what was called a virtual internet service provider, which was really interesting. Um, and it started with seven people. And then, you know, fast forward about two years, you know, we wound up having about, you know, 50, 60 people. And, and we were really starting to grow the business during the dot-com. And we, we, we wound up getting acquired by a very, a very large uh, telecommunications organization, which is great. So it was a great experience. Learned a lot from there, not just about the technology, but about the business side of things as well. So spent some time there at the internet startup. And then, uh, you know, when that got acquired, you know, that was based back in California. I wasn't ready to move yet. So I uh, moved on to my next venture. Um, at that point, I kind of bounced between a couple um, positions, you know, clinical trials. I, I worked in a, a software company that developed clinical trial software. Then I worked for an engineering manufacturing company. And around 2006 is where, you know, I landed my next long uh, position, found my way out of the for-profit world into the not-for-profit world. So in 2006, I started working for uh, a large health and human services organization that is, is nationwide. 
And I spent 12, 12 years there as the head of the ITS group. And, and it's there where, you know, this, this whole hands-on leadership thing really start um, taking, uh, taking hold in my leadership style a little bit. Probably after about a couple years, I decided at that point, you know, I want to go back and uh, get my MBA. So I went back to my alma mater, which is right down the street from PCOM, and went back to St. Joe's University and got my MBA. So I spent 12 years in, in the health and human services not-for-profit um, uh, organization, and through some leadership changes and whatnot that was taking place there, that's when I decided to see what was next for me in my career. And funny enough, on my way to St. Joe's University every day to go to school, I passed this college called PCOM. You know, and it's, it's, it's so true, too. Information technology is something that's used by so many different industries. Like data in the work that I had done, that you do find yourself shifting to all these different industries sometimes because it's something that's so needed and so uh, used by everyone. Now that you are in education, how do you find that the work at PCOM and within higher education, do you find it to be different uh, than some of the work that you've done in other industries? The pace is a little different depending on the academic time of the academic year. You know, it's, we're a medical school, so we're not an undergrad. Um, so the, the, the calendars are a little bit different, but we do have our ebbs and flows in terms of pace and whatnot. So that's been a little different. But what I found here is that, you know, everyone is very mission driven. Everybody is absolutely focused on the students and student outcomes. One thing that I also found, however, is that the challenges here at PCOM are just like any other organization I work with in any other industry. You know, so you still had the challenges with, you know, the rationalization of applications. You still had siloed systems. You still had siloed data. You still had some challenges and opportunities related to reporting and analytics, process improvements. Um, these are all things that are not germane to higher education. They, they really cross industries, but same problems here, same problems uh, that I dealt with in the past. So, again, that's one yep. aspect I, I really appreciate about IT is, you know, when I came through the interview process, although the I have a lot to learn from a higher education perspective, I feel that, you know, my background in all these areas that I just talked about, you know, I can immediately add value to, to PCM and higher education. All colleges and universities face challenges in advancing the mission of higher education. Some problems impeding your progress are known, but others are invisible, hidden, impossible to address. Invoke Learning changes everything. Built on revolutionary technology that's light years beyond anything you've seen yet, our leading-edge data platforms and deep analytic solutions give institutions of higher education some real-life superpowers to support the entire student journey. Ask questions you never imagined could be answered. Get unprecedented insights that lead to mission-impacting action. What's holding you back today from taking your mission further tomorrow? Find out and discover just how far you can go. Contact Invoke Learning at www.invokelearning.com. Invoke Learning. This is education empowered. I've heard from different CIOs that sometimes the approach a college can take to its IT teams and to its technology can vary pretty dramatically. Like, you will have some institutions that look at the IT team as the keep the lights on, keep the network running, just keep the printers printing type of approach. And you've got others that really do partner with IT and treat them as partners in this journey of serving students. Uh, how are things at PCOM? So it's interesting, prior to March of 2020, you know, when I started back in 2019, pre-pandemic, uh, you know, there was a 
there was a there was a real focus on technology and a real understanding of how important technology was in the life of the student and delivering the content to the student. But when the, I wasn't here very long before the pandemic hit, um, and when the pandemic hit for PCM, just like any other um, organization, it really really escalated our digital transformation. So we had a digital transformation plan, but when the pandemic hit, you know, you, you, you turn the dial quite a bit. You know, so, you know, you know, everybody went virtual for a long period of time and we still have to deliver, you know, um, uh, courses and lectures to our students. So we got our virtual conferencing down. We got our remote capabilities down. And, you know, on the on the backside of the pandemic. And like I said, it was here before the pandemic, but even more so now there is a heightened understanding of the importance of technology as it relates to the outcomes of our students. So, you know, I'm very lucky and fortunate that executive leadership here understands that and has made the investment in the technology. There's so much going on. There's, uh, you and I've talked about, there's three things that you look to or you focus on each day as you're diving in with your teams on all of those challenges and all those, uh, those activities that need to be done. Uh, tell us more about the three things that you focus on. When I ever have this kind of conversation with uh, folks on my team or, or within the organization, I, I, I tell them that there's really three things that make me get up and come to work each day. Uh, the first is I, I really need to feel that I'm adding value to the organization, that, you know, my background, my expertise, I'm adding value. And that's something that's really important. Number two is I need to be learning. I love to learn both about the business, higher education. Like I said, I'm new to higher education, so I have a ton to learn and I'm, gonna, I'm not going to stop learning for quite some time. But I also like to continue to learn about the technology. And this goes with the hands-on leadership style. I love to learn, you know, what's around the corner from a technology perspective because things are constantly changing. You know, in my prior life, um, you know, I developed a data warehouse using some traditional tools. When I got here, I was presented with the same opportunity, but instead of just using those traditional tools, took the time to work with the folks on my team to figure out what's next, what's around the corner. And we've come up with some great technologies and some great solutions that we are in the process of implementing. So that's number two. And then the third thing, as a leader, I need to feel that I am inspiring my team to perform because they want to perform, not simply because it's their job. Inspiration is always an interesting question, right? I mean, how do you inspire someone to want to do something? What's your approach? For me, it's about making sure that everybody on my team knows how they fit into the bigger picture. And never has that been more important than now, where we are still remote in, in many ways. We have folks that are, you know, have not been back to campus and maybe not coming back to campus for the foreseeable future. If you're a back-end developer, you may be at home, you know, being productive and doing the work units, and you may not know how you're, what you're doing fits into the bigger. In my last job, I'll, I'll tell you that, you know, this, this came up is, you know, we had a new employee came on and there was a, there was someone assigned to train that employee and they, and, and part of the training, they said, okay, when you're supposed to hit A, B, C, D, E, and then enter. And the, the person being trained said, well, why do I do that? And they said, I have no idea. We just did this way for 10 years. I have no idea why, uh, you know, I just know how to do it. And, and that was very deflating for that employee. They really want to know the why am I doing something and how does what I do impact the bigger picture? So I'll give you another example, a service desk agent here at PCOM, you know, their job is to take the phone calls, understand what the, what the issue is that's being presented and fix that issue. If you're only focused on the how, you may say at the end of the day, I fixed five problems and, you know, made five people happy. But what's most important, and we talk about this all the time, is 
it's very helpful for that service desk agent to know that, you know, those problems that you fixed have a direct impact or indirect impact on the students. So if that was a student they called in and they couldn't access some very critical materials that they needed to finish a particular project or a test, uh, you know, it's helpful for them to understand that. If it was a faculty member that called in, you know, it, it's helpful to know that, hey, that faculty member was preparing for a very important lecture the following day. And if you weren't able to resolve that problem, you know, that lecture may not have taken place and those students would have been impacted. You get the idea is, is I think the service desk feel more empowered, they feel more energized, they feel more inspired to get these things resolved in a timely fashion because they understand the mission is to serve those that we are trying to educate. I love that idea about making sure everybody knows how their piece contributes to that overall picture. In fact, if we take that back a step and think about IT as a whole, because, you know, IT, we talked about, can be seen as a service organization or as a partner in innovation. Um, what do you see when you take a look at IT and the role it plays in the larger context of students and higher education? What, what, what is it that we're going to be driving from an IT standpoint? Generally speaking, the number of students attending college across the board, not at PCOM necessarily, is decreasing while the cost to attend uh, a college or university is increasing. So from an IFTS perspective, you know, one of our roles is to ensure that we are selecting and implementing, and most importantly, leveraging the right technology for so that our staff and our faculty can work smarter in, in the process of educating our students. It's all about you know improving efficiency and productivity while cutting cost. This eliminates what I call or is industry called shadow ITS, and this is not unique to PCOM. It happens across all industries. Shadow ITS is really the term that's used to refer to what happens when departments or programs are not getting what they need from ITS. So if a program needs something and ITS is not being responsive or not delivering or not helping, these departments or programs oftentimes go out to the vendors themselves. And it's even easier now that you know we're in this cloud first world. You know, it's very easy for a department to go to a vendor and say, hey, I have this. The vendor will say, you know, you don't need ITS. We're cloud-based. There's nothing you need to do. So come forward with us. And this happens. And then, and then departments sign contracts with cloud-based vendors. And ITS only finds out about it, you know, a month or six months later when there's, oh, there is some integration that needs to take place. But the big part of that is there's some additional costs that's taking place. So if you don't control that and if ITS is really not working to make sure that we're putting the right technology in the right place, you wind up with all these shadow projects. And this cost, uh, this winds up costing the college or university a lot of money. And where, who, who bears the cost from that? That goes back to the students. So from a financial perspective, that is a big piece of what ITS needs to do. The second piece to this is to make sure that we are providing the systems and the data necessary to help drive student outcomes. So one of the problems that happens across the board, every industry I've been in, every organization I started with is, you wind up having a lot of data, but most of the times that data is locked up in systems. They're very siloed, they don't speak to each other, and when you, when you try to pull that data together and aggregate that data so that you can make very informed and actionable decisions, it's not possible unless you have the right technology in place. So that's a big piece of what we're doing is making sure that we implement the, the, the systems and the technology and the processes to pull all that data together and make that data available to the right people when and where they need it so that they can help with the student outcomes, student engagement, and so on. That perspective is fantastic. The idea of optimizing and making sure that the right technology is being used to help drive down the 
burden of cost onto the students. As a CIO, your responsibility doesn't just stop at the walls of the institution. There's this broader community of higher education that is is also critical. What do you, now, what do you think about your role as it relates to that broader community of higher ed? That's a great question. And this is something that is kind of new to me coming into higher education because this did not exist in my in my previous world. So when I started here at PCOM, one of the things that I found out you know, pretty early on is that PCOM had a relationship with a, a, a research partner called Infotech. And Infotech was a conduit for something which is much more important, which is there's a large network of higher education CIOs out there that through Infotech meet on a regular basis. And that was invaluable to me. Um, you know, so these are these are CIOs from undergrad, from grad, from small and large colleges and universities, and they get together regularly to discuss key topics and learnings from each other. So, like I said, this is something I did not have access to. But being new to higher education, when I joined this this group of CIOs that met, you know, I learned a ton about higher education. That you know, um, that would have you know been very difficult for me to learn otherwise. Um, I've learned from people who've been sitting in my seat long before I have and still are or, or maybe are retired but are part of the, the, the roundtables, but I learned what worked and what didn't work in, 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 other, in other instances. So this is something that I think was uh, extremely valuable from my perspective. I think what I had to offer this group is I came in bringing a completely different perspective. So this is a bunch of higher education CIOs, and here comes Rick from, you know, who's new to higher education, but I do have a lot of IT experience. So they were very interested in hear what I was doing in these other industries. So it was a really win-win. I learned a lot and I'm continuing to learn a lot from those folks. I do think I'm adding some value by bringing some different perspectives. And at the end of the day, you know, I take some of those nuggets and I bring them back to PCOM and I implement, you know, where I think it makes sense to do so this idea of cross-pollination. You've got a bunch of experience you're bringing in from all these other industries. You're gaining experience from all these other CIOs that are giving you this tool chest this to be able to use in order to, to drive innovation and to solve different challenges within the institution. With all of that at your disposal, what are some of the ideas you have? How are you going to disrupt higher education? For me, one of the biggest things we can do is really start to mine all this data that we have locked up in all these different applications and systems because we have we were sitting on a mountain of data that if, if it's curated properly you know we can use that to really help inform and enrich student outcomes and student enrichment so for me uh, i mentioned it earlier but you know one of the things that we're looking to do is really implement a modern day data warehouse um, that contain, you know, so it'll be, it'll be, there'll be multiple components of that. So there'll be a data lake where we're pulling data from all of our disparate systems into a data lake. The very fact that we're aggregating all that data in the one place is powerful by itself. You know, having that data in one place makes it accessible to, you know, all types of analytics, to machine learning, to artificial intelligence and whatnot. What we're going to do from that point is, you know, once we have all that data in the data lake, it, we're going to have that enriched with publicly available data. So we can go out and start looking at socioeconomic data. We can look at uh, all types of publicly available data and enrich that data. That's going to really help our institutional research group to do some analytics so that we can start make the transition from what I call descriptive reporting, which is what we're doing now. We're taking all that data and we're building descriptive reports, the look back stuff. You know, what happened yesterday, last year, what are the trends? You know, that's important and we're doing that. But what we really need to get to, what I think is a disruptor, 
is when we, we get to the point where we're using artificial intelligence and machine language to do predictive and prescriptive analytics. Wouldn't it be extremely valuable to use some of that prescriptive and predictive analytics to say, hey, based on all these variables that we've been tracking in our tools, here are some students that are maybe not engaged and here are some students that, you know, there's some early indicators that they may be struggling out of the gates and give them the supports early on in their journey to be successful. That's a disruptor. AI, machine language, and modern day data warehouses is going to be a disruptor for education across the board. What a great example then of the kind of strategy. I was just thinking we started this conversation talking about being one of the oldest medical schools in the country, but yet talking about utilizing some of the most advanced technology available, I think is a fantastic strategy and vision. Hey, Rick, before we uh, bring our show to an end, I just wanted to ask you uh, what advice that you might have that you would share from your experiences that might help give others who are listening uh, a higher edge in their own careers in higher education. Any advice? Well, first of all, I'd say, say thank you for the opportunity to speak today because it really did give me the opportunity to kind of kind of reflect on my 30-plus years in, in IT. And during that reflection, uh, there's three things I came up with, four things. Number one is find your leadership style and embrace it. You know, like I said, if you're able to inspire folks to action, if you're, if you're able to add value and continue to learn, you know, whatever that leadership style is, you know, embrace it. Like I said, for me, early on when I was, when I was, I was hands on, I was at that inflection point. I thought about, you know, taking a different path, but it turned out to be, you know, a real positive thing for me and a plus, not a negative. So embrace your leadership style. That's number one. Number two is really take time each day to reflect on your strengths and your weaknesses. Obviously, take advantage of the former, but work on the latter. So for me, I'll, I'll share with you, you know, one of the things that I, I by reflecting, I learned about myself. I knew I, I knew this about myself and, and intuitively. I'm an introvert by nature. So, you know, so if, if I put my head down and I work every single day and I don't think about it, and I don't take the time to reflect. I'm going to find six months later that I shut my door and I never left it. And, you know, I, I just sat behind my computer. But. By, by making myself reflect every single day, you know, I remind myself that, yes, you are an introvert. You do need to get up. You do, you do need to go out. You do need to meet people. Because if you don't, you're going to miss major relationship building opportunities. That's huge. Which brings me to number three is really get out and meet people. As a CIO, one of the most important things for me to do is to get out and to meet people. So when I first started in 2019, it's the first thing I did. My first 120 days was was taking the show on the road and going out and meeting all the department heads and academic heads and really listening. But that doesn't stop there. You need to do that on a regular basis. You need to go out at least annually or, or ad hoc and meet people and listen to people, what's working, what's not working. And that brings me to my final point is part of communications is the active listening part. You know, when you, when you, you really need to make a conscious effort to hear and understand and retain information that's being relayed to you because Especially for me, being new to higher education, there's a lot for me to learn, and there's a lot of there's a lot being imparted on me, and I, I need to make sure that you know I'm actively listening and, and really encoding everything I'm hearing. So there are my four points: you know, embrace your leadership style, take time to reflect, get out and meet people, and 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 actively listen and and, and take people for whatever they're worth. 
For all of our listeners, we've been talking with Rick Smith, Chief Information Officer for the Philadelphia College of Osteopathic Medicine. Uh, Rick, if listeners would like to reach out to you with questions about today's episode or to continue the conversation, uh, what's the best way for them to to contact you? I would love to hear from anybody. If anybody has any questions or feedback, uh, the best way to reach me would be through my uh, PCOM email address, which is richardsm at pcom.edu. I'd love to hear from anybody. Perfect. Thanks so much. Rick, such a pleasure to have you on the show. Thanks again for coming on and being a guest with us on The Higher Edge. And for everyone listening, I'm Brendan Aldrich, and we'll talk soon. Thanks for listening to The Higher Edge. For more, subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform, leave us a review if you loved the show, and be sure to connect with Brendan on LinkedIn. Know someone who's making big changes at their higher ed institution that belongs on this podcast? Drop us a line at podcasts at thehigheredge.com. The Higher Edge is sponsored by Invoke Learning in partnership with Westport Studios. Views and opinions expressed by individuals during the podcast are their own. See how Invoke Learning is empowering higher education at invokelearning.com.